It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, Laura, to me, is the epitome of the kingdom. You know, it's, uh, you know, the kingdom, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have, have everything. All you have to do is have a love for him and a love for people, and it just all happens. And I just think, Laura, you're just going to be so fruitful. You know, we could just see the gifts on your life as you were sharing then. And God's just going to take that. And, uh, whew. Sorry, I was sitting down there going, gee, we're going to need some tissues this morning, I think. We're going to need some tissues this morning. So I apologize for that. If you're new here, yes, I do this every week. And I apologize for it. But there you go. It's just how it is. So, Laura, well done. Well done, well done. And look, just, just quickly recapping on just a couple of those things. Um, isn't it good to have a QR code so we just walk through, click, and we're in? We don't have to worry about lining up. Um, Moray Field, it's pretty exciting. This is fulfillment of what's been prophesied over the church. Um, you know, I remember my very first conversation with Pastor Mark, and he was saying, you know, do we emerge church want to become a campus of another church? And we're able to say to him as a board, no, we believe that God has called us to plant churches. And it's just been happening and happening easily. You know, the money was just there to start Moray Field. Uh, it looks like there's a person just there to start a church now uh, in the Gap region. And it's just happening. It's just happening organically. It's happening easily. So I can't encourage you strongly enough to come along on the afternoon. And it is a real statement in the spirit realm. It's us getting there and saying, well, we're here. Yeah. We're not going to be shifted. We're not going to be intimidated. We're here. We're going to build something strong in this place that's going to touch the community. And uh, just finally, before we get into our message, um, Karen Patzer. She's got her MS fundraiser this morning, her swimathon pool across the road. So anyone who can, if at the end of the service, after you've had your coffee and quick chat, um, if you want to head across the road, and all you have to do is walk in there and say, good job, Karen, you're doing an amazing job. And she'll just feel encouraged and strengthened. And we've got some uh, bottles of water on ice out the back that we can walk around and hand out and say, well, here's not a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, but we've got a bottle of water for you in Jesus' name. It's just nice to see you all. So, all right, let's, uh, let's hit the word of God. I'm really excited about this message today because this is a me message. This is a me message. So, so this is just a me message. So I really enjoy this message. Okay, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival. Now that's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers, what's it say? Rivers, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Some of the versions say from within their innermost being. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Father, we just commit ourselves to you today. As we look at your word, Lord, open our minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, that's what Jesus did. He breathed on his disciples, Lord, and he said, he prayed, Lord, open their minds that they might understand the scriptures. And so today, Lord, whether the people here today know a lot about you or a little about you, I ask that this message would just be clear, that people would just get it today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
when we when we read those scriptures, when we read those scriptures about um, the the Holy Spirit, our mind immediately goes to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and um, we think of we think of the feasts and we think of the the Holy Spirit being associated with 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 Pentecost, but Jesus was actually saying this at the Feast of Tabernacles. So this scripture he's talking about here is actually Tabernacles, which is the last of the great feasts. So we're going to be spending a little bit of time looking at it. And the last time I shared, we were also looking at at Tabernacles. And do you remember what what we talked about? We talked about Tabernacles, how Jesus tabernacled or dwelt amongst us. And there was that whole picture of the fullness of God dwelling on earth in Jesus. And more than that, we looked at the Tabernacle itself. And we said, well, Jesus lived right up in the Holy of Holies. He lived in communion with God. God lived in communion with him on earth. And so the things that he did flowed out of that. And so, so it's a picture of us walking on earth and being able to have unhindered access because of Jesus coming into the presence of God. And you probably remember we talked about that, that the pathway, that that curtain was rent because Jesus was willing to surrender his self-will. He was, he was willing to give over his flesh and live by the Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to rule. And for us, it's that same pathway. It's not a different pathway. It's that same pathway. We're following Jesus, our forerunner, behind that. But today what we're going to do is we're actually going to take a step back. Yeah? We're going to take a step back and look more broadly at tabernacles. So um, from what we shared last time, you could think, well, this is all about just the presence of God and it being nice. And, you know, is this, is this just about feeling goosebumps when we feel the presence of God come and, and, and presence? No, no, no. Tabernacles and the tabernacle anointing um, is all about a purpose. And the purpose of it is getting the harvest in. Getting the harvest in. Getting the harvest in. So, you, you probably know, Israel was an agricultural community. That was their year. They, they lived that agricultural cycle. And so God gave them three great feasts, three major feasts, saying, you guys have to do this every year. All of you have to come to Jerusalem. You all have to assemble. There, there's no skipping out here. And this is what you're going to do every year. The three great feasts. So, let's have a quick look. We, yeah, there we go. Um, now, maybe you got better eyesight than me. I was looking at it when it came up thinking, gee, I don't know that I can read that, but that's okay. Yep, you guys can see that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, there's the three great feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And it's all about the agricultural cycle. So Passover, we understand, that's, that's the cross. Yeah, so we get that. Um, Jesus was sacrificed as our, as our Passover. And the Passover is all about um, the punishment, the, the spirit of death because of sin that passed over. That's what it did. So because of the cross, the punishment and the death that we should have paid has now passed over because Jesus has taken it upon himself. It's the Passover, yeah? But it's part of their agricultural festival. It's in April. April for us is in, in autumn, yeah? Uh, but April for them is spring. So this is their first month of the year. So, so brand new. The year is just beginning. Passover happens right at the beginning. And really, this is a celebration. Hey, spring has sprung. Yeah? So it's a new beginning, you know? They're, they're looking out. They've just come out of winter. They're looking around. They're going, gee, look at the crops springing up. You know, our grape vines are all in leaf and bud and whatever. Whatever happens. Yep, yep. So we kind of get that picture, don't we? That, and in terms of spiritual terms, um, it all starts with the cross, doesn't it? Yeah? No life. No spiritual life before the cross. But from the moment of the cross, 
everywhere you look, spiritual life is just springing up. The plants are just bursting forth. Yeah? Yeah? So we get that. Yep. The next, the next feast was Pentecost. Um, that happened seven weeks, seven weeks after Passover. Yeah? So by this year, by this time, the agricultural year is really starting to kick in. Yeah? So, so, so Pentecost in, ter- in agricultural terms, so it's now summer. They're now in summer. Um, it's a celebration of them getting the first crop in. So, so they've gone out now and they've actually harvested their first crop for the year, which was their grain crop. And so they're bringing that before God. That's, that's the agricultural celebration. They, they were in the temple with these sheaves of grain going, look, you know, God's brought this, this harvest from the earth. Here it is. We're bringing some of the abundance of it into the house of God. They're celebrating. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in spiritual terms, that's the day of Pentecost when God poured out his Holy Spirit. 50 days after the cross, seven weeks after the cross. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, what happened on that day? The church was born. The first harvest of believers, the first harvest of believers is there in Jerusalem. So you get the picture? You get the picture? Yeah? So this is the first fruits. This is the first fruits. This is, yeah, this is the first fruits. This is, this, this is them celebrating, going, look, it's happening. Here it is. It's happening. Here the church is born. Yeah? Yeah, we've got the first harvest in. Here it is, you know. Um, so you, you get that picture. Now, um, in terms of time. Both of those things happened for the first time for the Christian church 2,000 years ago. You, you kind of get that picture? Yeah? Whereas the last one that we're talking about now, its spiritual fulfillment is now, 2,000 years later. So tabernacles, which happens in, in um, autumn. So this is right at the end of the harvest year. Yeah? So, so you can imagine it's starting to get a bit colder. Winter's coming. It hasn't quite come yet. Winter's coming. And so, so this celebration is, well, we've got the crop in. You know, the grapes come in. The figs have come in. Everything's come in. Yeah? And so, so this is the celebration. This is the, well, it's kind of two things. It's a celebration of what God has provided for them through the year. Yeah? But it's also the urgency. Well, come on. Come on. Come on, tabernacles is coming, you know. We've got to get the last of that crop in, you know. We've got to get it bundled in the, in the barns because winter's coming. We don't know what winter's going to be like. Winter's coming, yeah. So, so that makes sense, yeah. So that's where we are now. That's where we are now. If we are genuinely the end time church, which most people just accept and believe, and certainly when you look around, there's lots of evidence that we're part of the end time church. That's tabernacles. That's the scripture that we're reading now. That's the fulfillment that we're seeing right now. Tabernacles, ingathering. That come on, let's get the harvest in. There's an anointing to get the harvest in. And in fact, the feast is called the Feast of Ingathering. The Feast of Ingathering. The Feast of Ingathering. That's, that's what they're calling it. So if we just take it aside for a moment... Um, so you kind of get that this is, this is like the seasons. It starts in spring, and then for, for, for this, it finishes in, in autumn, yeah? Because not much, agriculturally, not much happens in, in, in winter. Um, Barry would know a lot more about that than I do, because that's Barry's background, agriculture. Um, but I imagine that in Israel through winter, there's really not much happening. It's, it's pretty dead, yeah? Yeah. Well, th- this is a picture of the seasons of the church. 
You know, we had the cross when it all started. We had Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out. We've then had all the harvest over the years. But Tabernacles is right at the end. So this is the urgency to get it in. This is the celebration that we've got it packed away. This is the, you get the picture? Yeah, yeah. But then comes winter. And so the scripture actually talks about a spiritual winter. It talks about tribulation. It talks about a time that's pretty dark, that's pretty cold, that's not a nice place to be. And, and if you want to think of it in terms of the harvest coming in, yeah, um, people will ask a question, well, will people get saved in, in, in the time of the tribulation? We're dealing with pretty heavy stuff today, aren't we? We're getting down, down deep. We're doing some digging. We're kind of, we're not just going surface, yeah? Yeah? Well, you think about it, okay? So imagine a vineyard, yeah? So the harvesters have come through. They've grabbed all the grapes that are ripe, yeah? And, and we know that they didn't grab it all, did they? They left a bit there for the poor and the homeless, yeah? Um, so they've come through. The harvesters have got it all. The poor and the homeless have then come through. Yeah, they're pretty hungry, you know? Anything left on those vines, <laughs> it's going in their pocket. It's going home with them, you know? They're looking under every leaf. They're looking under, yeah, 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 yeah. So by the time winter actually comes, yeah? Imagine walking through one of those grapevines in winter, yeah? You'd be looking under every leaf, you know? Is there one grape that's been missed? Is there one grape? Yeah? That's the picture of tribulation. You know, it's this final thing, this final, well, is there one? Is there one? Is there one? Is there one? Is there one that can be found? Yeah? Yeah? And I guess there would. I guess, you know, in winter you'd find an occasional little tiny, maybe a little bit, bit, you know, there'd be something, yeah? So it's that final thing. So you get that picture? It's this harvest thing. So the one we're looking at today is tabernacles, tabernacles, completing the harvest, getting the harvest in. Okay, so let's go back to our scripture. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and in a loud voice said, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water shall flow from within them. So, this, this is all about getting the harvest in, getting the harvest in. And part of that is God making the world thirsty. Now, um, as a pastor, now I've only been full-time in this for a short time, but it is so much easier pastoring today than it was even two years ago. There's, there's just a, an openness. There's an openness among people. There's an openness in the world. There's an openness in my own family. There's just an openness that's come. And that's this picture of God making people thirsty. God's, God's making the world thirsty. You know, God's making... And, and the beauty of that is um, Jesus is the only one who has the water of life. You know, he says to the woman at well, you know, come to me. I've, I've got the water of life. You know, come to me and you'll never thirst again. So God's the only one with the answer. So on the one hand, God's making the world thirsty. And then he's holding it out saying, well, you know what? Here it is. I've got the answer. And, of course, the scripture that we're reading says that there are rivers, rivers of living water um, flowing from innermost being. So if we can go to that next slide, please. Yeah, okay. So, um, yes, you probably guess this is Jerusalem. Yeah, you can probably see in the middle there we've got Pastor Mark uh, sitting on the stairs there. Yeah. What would happen? Yeah. Can you see that all, guys? Yeah. So, so, so what would happen on the day, on this day? So what is taking place as Jesus is saying this? Yeah? 
Um, right at the beginning of the feast, what they'd do is the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam and they'd get some big containers of water and um, they'd, 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 they'd bring it up to the temple. But on the last day, he would take a quart of that water. So do you know what, do you know what a quart is? you know what a quart is? Yep. Who's, who's old enough to remember? Yeah. Okay. Look, we just divided our whole congregation by age. Yeah. A, a quart is two pints which is 1.25 litres, 1.2, 1.25 litres, yeah? So that's a quart, yeah? And so what he would do, he would come out, the priest would come out, and he would pour that water down the stairs and cry out a Jewish word saying the great, and I've got it there, but I won't try and quote it, yeah? Yeah? Which basically means, the words mean now save, yeah? So he's pouring this water down the stairs and saying now stay, save. Some other versions or inter- of uh, translations that say, please save. So you, so you get this picture of the water flowing down the stairs and the priest saying, please, please save. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is standing off to the side here wa- watching this take place. Okay. Now, now, this is Bible comedy. So I hope you can get it. I hope, I hope you kind of pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jesus is standing there watching the priest pour this quart of water down the stairs. You know? And he's going, you know, he's going, God's getting the whole world thirsty. So there's a few problems, you know. So Jesus, Jesus identifies a few problems right, right up front, you know. First of all, he's, he's, he's standing there going, have you not read Ezekiel? It says that a river will flow from the temple of God. Yeah, yeah. Now this water that he poured down the stairs didn't even come from the temple. He had to go and get it. He had to duck down the 7-Eleven, just like I did. And get the water. So you get the picture? Now, he didn't duck down the 7-Eleven. He went to the pool of Siloam, yeah? But you get the picture, don't you? That Jesus is standing here saying, the water you're pouring down into these stairs, you haven't even got in the temple. You had to go and get it. Yeah? Yeah? And the other thing that he's saying is he's saying, God's going to make the whole world thirsty. So Jesus is saying, through all, through, through all the world, if you are thirsty, you can come to me and drink. Yeah? Through all the world, yeah? He's saying, through all time, from this time forward till the end of time, yeah? The world can come to me to drink, yeah? And you've got a liter, 1.2 liters of water. So it's just, you, you get the picture, don't you? You get the picture. So, so, so it's a contrast of those things, yeah? Where Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You know? Out of the temple. Who, who's, who's the temple? What's the temple? This is the temple, Yeah? When, when the people of God come together, God makes his dwelling there. That's the temple, you know. We are the temple. We are the temple of God, yeah. Out of our innermost being shall flow these rivers of living water. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of actually even, even bigger than this um, in terms of the comedy of the moment that's kind of unfolding. Um, if we can go to the next slide, Amy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can see. I should have brought my pointer. But can you see on the, the bottom side, the southern side, the bottom side there of the temple area, uh, it says temple steps. Can you see that? Yeah? Okay. So that's where the priest is, is standing, pouring this water out. And then just down below that, just slightly below that, where it says City of David, can you see that little green wiggly line called Gaihon Spring? Can you? Yeah? Can you see that? Sorry, I just meant to bring you my pointer. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see that, yeah. So, so, so this is this is Jesus' um, crocodile, crocodile Dundee moment. You know the point in the movie where 
where he's attacked by this guy with a knife. And you know the classic line where he says, you know, that's not a knife. And then he pulls out this great big massive hunting knife and says, hey, that's a knife. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is Jesus' crocodile the moment, yeah? He's seeing the priest pour this 1.2 litres down the stairs, yeah? And he's saying, that's not a river. And so virtually under the feet of the priest, see the guy on spring, yeah? So it's only a short distance. He's pouring it down the stairs here. And the Gaishon Spring is just there, which is a literal river, yeah? Underground river in front of him, pouring out in exactly the same direction. And it's this picture. It's a picture of, of Ezekiel, yeah? It's a physical representation of Ezekiel's picture of the river that flows out of the temple, yeah? <laughs> so, so let's just go to the next slide, Amy. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. This, this is virtually under the feet of the priests in Jerusalem. Just a little bit in front of him, you know? If you had to throw on the thing of water, it would have hit the area where this is. Yeah, like literally. And uh, um, you can go there today. I'm sure Jesus would have popped down and had a look. It's pretty amazing, yeah? And uh, where this photo is taken from, it's, it's a gantry, a walkway. So they take the tours down, you go down. Now, I tried to take a photograph of it because it's so dark down there. Like they've got the special lighting, obviously, for this one. Yeah. So you get the picture, don't you? You get the picture that Jesus is saying, God's going to make the world thirsty. Anyone who gets thirsty can come to me. Because out of us, out of the temple, out of his people, out of this church, there's going to flow rivers of living water where whoever is thirsty can come and satisfy themselves in it. Yeah? So this is talking about a mighty river. And it's talking about a mighty river that knows no obstacle or boundary, yeah? And this is what we're t looking at this morning across all the merged locations, you know? We're looking at living, overcoming obstacles. Well, this river is a mighty river that can't be stopped by anything. It's just pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, yeah. When I first got saved, I was working up on the Burdekin Dam and... Um, I, I got to be part of that project right from the very beginning. So I was there before there was any dam when they were doing the investigations in the early stage. And um, it's a mighty river. The Burdekin is a mighty river. Um, when, when, I first, when I first got up there, we had a rain. And the, the rain in North Queensland isn't like the rain we get here. It's real rain. And it rained like for seven days. You'd get up in the morning and it's belting down. You'd go to bed at night it was still belting there like for seven days like it, it never eased up we were just fortunate that we'd had some work done so we had work we could carry on with lab work yeah um and then all that water started to come down the river now now the Burdekin drains about seven and a half percent of Queensland which is a massive area it's a bigger area than England it's a bigger area than um Germany you know and this is just one river so you can imagine that rain starting to come down the river so so after we'd been up there for just a short time, it then had, the dam goes across the falls, uh, Burdekin Falls, and they're not falls as falls, they're little rocks, you know. So it goes across the falls, which is 120k upstream, 120k upstream. So it's quite a way upstream where the, where the dam was going. And the water was coming over those fall, falls six metres, six, six metres high over the, so how high is our ceiling, James? About three and a half metres, Yeah. So, so almost, almost twice the height of the ceiling above us is the height of water coming over those falls. And the falls are a kilometre wide at that point. So you've got, you got 
you got a you got a six thousand square meter face of water coming over the falls, and that was just after this rain. You know what I mean? So, so, so the Burdekin actually has. Um, I'm boring you with statistics now, but the Burdekin has the highest flow rate of any river in the world. Highest peak flow rate. Yeah, Other, others have greater flow through the year, but in terms of the peak flow rate, yeah. And the reason I'm telling you all that is when they started construction, what they did is they put a little cofferdam so that they could actually work where the rock was. They put this little earth, they put this little earth mound in front, <laughs> in front of the water, yeah? So that they could get access to the rock kind of dry and start building the wall. You get the picture? Yeah. And everyone's standing looking at this going, if there's even a little shower of rain upstream across even half of this area, that's not only going to take out that wall, but it's got, you know the picture? This concept of such a river that, that nothing, you know, that nothing any man is going to build in front of that river is going to stop it, you know? Like it's just, and in fact, when they built the dam, and it's the biggest dam in Queensland, they didn't even bother building a dam. Like, like dams dam rivers, you know what I mean? So it stops the flow going down the river. It's a dam. That's what it, yeah. Whereas they didn't build a dam, they just built a weir. A weir is just a bump. A weir is just a bump. And the water just comes along and just goes whoosh. And away it goes, yeah. It's, it's still the biggest dam in, a, in Queensland, but they just built this little tiny weir. And you get the picture, don't you? Yeah? That, that's this river. This river is saying nothing is going to stop this. No obstacle. doesn't matter. That, men build what you like. This river is going to flow. Whoever is thirsty is going to be able to get access to this. Here it goes. Yeah. So let's look at the early church. Okay, the early church, um, um, you know, <laughs> they get filled on the day of Pentecost, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah, and you know, we have a harvest on their first day, and uh, then the gospel starts to go out, okay? So it was okay when it was just in Jerusalem, they were all Jews, you know, they were all there, it kind of made sense, yeah? And, and, then, and then Philip goes down to Samaria, led by the Holy Spirit. Now, is that, is that going to be okay? So that's, so that's in the first barrier, isn't it? That's the first obstacle. And the scripture tells us the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Yeah? So the Jews weren't going to take the gospel down there. You know? This had to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Of course, Philip gets down there. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, don't they? You know? You know? So then it goes a little bit further. And so the Jews go, all right, well, they're half-brothers, you know. Okay, they've intermarried a bit, but really they've got the same origins of us, so we can kind of understand that, you know, that the gospel can go to them. And then it goes to Cornelius' house, yeah? And they're going, that's the next obstacle, isn't it, you know? Would the gospel go to Gentiles? And it seems like when Peter's there preaching to Cornelius, he's not even going to ask him if they want to receive Jesus. He's just telling them what's happened, you know? There's no altar call here. You know, on the, day of, on the day of Pentecost, there was an altar call. You know, you know, you get the picture, yeah? You know, whereas it, Peter's not going to have an altar call here because these are Gentiles. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit steps in and goes, well, guess what, Peter? You know, this river's going to them too. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it didn't matter what, what obstacle was put in front of it, it just flowed out. And we're going to continue in this just for a moment, yeah? It then gets out to Antioch, yeah? You know the story in Antioch? Um, and it only got out to Antioch, Antioch because there was persecution. They weren't going to get out. But a persecution comes upon the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, so out they go. They get the next obstacle, which is the obstacle of a Jewish culture. Uh, sorry, of a Greek culture. 
So the Greek had a really different mindset, you know. So, so the Jews, to the Greek people, the Greek people would look at them and go, oh, you're pretty foreign, you know. You're a bit exotic. You're a bit, you know, this is different. So it's, so it's a real cultural in your face. So in my mind, I imagine that first conversation as they get out to Antioch, Antioch they're talking to um, these Greek people, you know, and they say, well, um, there was this virgin and the angel visited the virgin and the Greek person stops them and goes, a what? An angel? What's an angel? What's so, so, in them, so, so it's so foreign. Even concepts like an angel is just foreign to them. Yeah. And, and where that is relevant is that a lot of people that we will talk to in Australia today, we're talking a different language. It's just foreign. There's no frames of reference. There's nothing that they can kind of lock onto and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. I can lock into that, yeah? And we know, don't we? We know, we know that it, nothing stopped it, you know? Persecution didn't stop it. In fact, um, you know, persecution and um, martyrdom didn't stop it, you know? Um, uh, in fact, it was persecution and the arresting of Paul that, that actually pushed it right out to Rome, you know, because the Romans paid for him to go there. So, so there's all these things. Hostile governments, hostile governments didn't stop it. The barrier of distance. Imagine, imagine walking all those distances. I think Thomas, Thomas as I understand, um, church history would say he went down to India. Imagine walking down to India. <laughs> uh, where are you going to go and share the gospel? Oh, India. What? You know, how long does it take to walk to India? I don't know. I guess, I guess he caught a ship. I don't know. I don't know. How did he get there? But all, the, all those barriers, all those barriers, the barriers of, um, all those barriers, none of them were anything for the gospel, you know? And, you know, as, as we sit here today, this same river is flowing. And, you know, um, God isn't looking for exceptional people because it is the message that is exceptional and full of power. Yeah? So for ordinary people, regardless of how ordinary, it doesn't matter because it's a river that brings life. It's a river that brings life. Yeah. So maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you've come in today and when you think about sharing the gospel with family, friends, whoever, you think, oh, but it's so hard. There's this obstacle, and there's that obstacle, and there's, there's, there's the next obstacle, yeah? Um, and, and we've been through a bit of a tough season, yeah? When I say we've been through a bit of a tough season, the last 20 years haven't, hasn't been easy. So if you've been a Christian in a workplace and you're telling people about Jesus, that has not been easy, yeah? But the tabernacle's anointing that we're talking about is an end-time anointing. So if we're genuinely in end-time anointing, if we're genuinely in end-time now, this is for now. So this is an it's all changed. This is an it's all changed moment. This is a God is unlocking, yeah? God is unlocking this, 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 this river. And, and we talked last time we shared around tabernacles that the way you get in it is through a surrendered self-will. Yeah, that's the way Jesus got into it. That's the way we get into it. It's that surrendered self-will. Yeah. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, no, no, it's too hard. You know, I've, I've tried before. You know, well, well, I want us this morning just to take a little fresh look at the river and go, well, you know, there's no obstacle that this river can't get over. Now, now I've got a little story this morning, and 
some of you know, because um, I've shared with some people. Um, so my mum has got saved. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. It seems very clear. It's, it's chalk and cheese. Like, it's, she's really got saved. It's just, you know, it, it, it does my head in a little bit. It does my head in a little bit. Now, I know, I know people have been praying. Where are Will and Kai? Will and Kai. Yeah, I know these guys have been praying. I know the prayer team's been praying. I've been praying. Yeah. Now, if you think about obstacles, obstacles to someone becoming a Christian, you know, my mum, goodness. And <laughs> sorry, I'm not, I'm not here to have a go on my mum, but, you know, if you had spoken to me six months ago and said, you know, before Christmas your mum's going to get saved, I would have gone, yeah, whatever. I'd, I, I wouldn't, no faith. And look, I'll explain why. So, so, so my mum was born into a family that went to a cult, you know, and it, so it's, it's a belief system, it's a doctrine, yeah. All her family were in that, all her friends were in that. That was her life and that was her love. That was her love. That was her go-to. You know, for us, for us, we've got scriptures, so when we're in tough times, we've got scriptures we go to. We've probably got a favourite song that we put on and play. Well, mum had all of that. But it was, it was deception. It, it was the counterfeit. It wasn't, wasn't the real, yeah? And so, you know, so, so you're looking at it going, you know, he, he, here is this woman. She's now 67 years old. This has been, I think it's reasonable to say, the love of her life, yeah? You know? Um, I'll, I'll just quickly tell you just a little bit of the story. Um, and you've, you've heard this before. So I first became a Christian when I was like 10 years old. And this person came around to the house selling books, um, um, Bible stories. And I was absolutely shocked because we were Christian scientists. And I was absolutely shocked because my mum bought one of these books. Yeah. But unbeknown to them, I read it. <laughs> no, I'm just being silly there. Yeah. So I read in there that Jesus had died for me, you know. And I got in and I cleaned up my room, little responsive little 10-year-old. What else do you do? You know, and I remember the thought process quite clearly. If Jesus died for me, then the least I can do is get in and clean up my room. <laughs> I, I, that might sound weird logic, but that's the gospel. The gospel demands a response. Yeah. yeah. And uh, mum came home from work. Mum didn't work much, um, as in like typical of a lot of, I think, women that day. And mum had some health issues and stuff. So she didn't, she didn't, she wasn't, she was rarely at work in my memory of growing up as a child. But she was working that day. When she came home, I shared the gospel with her. I shared you know, I shared how I just read that Jesus had died for me and I'd got in and cleaned up my room. Yeah, yeah. So over the years, it was probably, probably another um, 15 years when I was 25 years old that I really became a Christian. Now, I think I probably became a Christian back then because it was real. Um, but, but, but because it wasn't fed, you know, my mum took me aside at the time saying, you know, oh, no, we don't believe that. That isn't true. That isn't right. That isn't. And so I kind of laid dormant then for about 15 years, yeah. But then I got really saved. And so, so then I was in the family's face. And, you know, when you're first saved, you know, and, and you know, and you just, you know, and you're kind of going, why can't you see it? It's there. It's black and white. Look, look, you know. And so I'm showing the scriptures and things. Yeah. Anyway, they couldn't see it. Yeah. And so, so over the years, you know, I'd talk with mum, you know, I felt a little bit like, um, anyway, I won't say that. Um, it wasn't received. Let's just say it wasn't received. Yeah. And, uh. There came a point where I realized that I'd been sharing the gospel with mum, if you conclude right back to when I was 10, for 40 years, for 40 years. 
And at that point, now this might mess with your theology a little bit, but I really felt God say to me, stop it. Don't talk to her. Don't pray for her. Just let her go. Let her go, let her go, let her go. And so in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, well, I don't think she's going to get saved, you know? You know, if, if God's saying to you, don't talk to me about a certain person, then I don't know, yeah? I was, I was away at conference. I was, and, and, and if you want a scriptural significance, you know, like 40 years is probation. Like the children of Israel were in the wilderness 40 years, yeah? So 40 years is a dealing. 40 years is a, you know, you've got this time to deal. You either deal or don't deal. So the ones who didn't deal died in the wilderness, yeah? The ones who had dealt came into the promised land, yeah? It's a picture of 40. Um, when we were at a conference recently, I'm standing up there worshipping a national conference, and, and it kind of hit me that I'd now been sharing the gospel with my mum and dad for 50 years. Now, now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could he possibly? I mean, he must have been negative age. He must have been one or something. No, no, it's true, yeah? Um, and uh, 50 years is all about Jubilee. 50, 50, 50 is all about, you know, if you read about the year of Jubilee... God throws his hands in the air and says, we're going to party, you know, and you go, yeah, but sin and bondage and slavery, and God says, oh, I don't care, we're all going free, we're going to have a party, we're going to, yeah, you get the picture, yeah, and so my mom's joined the party, yeah, and uh, which is really cool, it's really cool, and I know I'm going on about it a bit, but that's a miracle, that's this river, yeah, and it doesn't matter, yeah. It doesn't matter how big an obstacle, because the river has power to get over every obstacle. So when you're looking at your family or whatever, and you're thinking, my goodness, they're not going to get saved ever, you know, don't look at the natural, look at the river, look at the river, look at the river. And uh, one of the things I shared with my mum as she was going, because mum loves flowers, I shared with them about the flowers we got out here, and we got red ones, white ones, and pink ones. And so I did with her, and I won't take too much longer, but I just did with her the whole, though our sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And none of that would have happened if, he'd, if his blood didn't run red, you know, on the cross, you know. So we talked about that, and there's some pink ones out there as well. And I'm saying to her, well, Mum, there's no pink before God, you know, because our righteousness is its filthy rags before him. So it's all red. There's no pink. There's no kind of getting good. There's no, you know, you're either red or white. And as she was going yesterday, that was, that was back on Tuesday or Wednesday when I shared that with her. And as she was going yesterday, we're looking at the flowers. And she, she says to me, that's how Jesus sees me, isn't it? Pure and white, like this flower. And uh, So who would have thought the river can even reach my mum? So there you go. So, Conclusions. So tabernacles and the tabernacle anointing, which we talked about last time, is all about the manifest presence of God, but there's a purpose in it. It's been released in the earth with a purpose, and that's that the bride might be made ready. And of course, the key part of that is a harvest coming in, the harvest of souls of men and, and women. You know, God is making the world thirsty. But whoever is thirsty can come to him and drink. And this river, this river, this river, this river is just there for us, for whoever is thirsty. 
So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, Father, this river always was meant to flow out of your temple because that's the place you dwell. So this flows out of you. Lord, it's a river of life. It's a river of peace. It's a river of joy. It's a river of righteousness. It's a river, Father, that brings us into the stream of eternal life. And so, Father, we pray for our church here at Redcliffe that this would be a river. Lord, Lord, we celebrate the young ones that have been getting saved and the old ones that have been getting saved. Lord, let it be that, that, Father, whoever is thirsty might be able to come to this river and drink. And, Father, we lift ourselves before you individually. Lord, the Scripture says that out of our innermost being, that's us, that's me, that's each person here, that out of our innermost being shall flow rivers, plural, of living water. So, Father, let the gifts flow. Let healing flow. Let deliverance flow. Let mercy flow. Let these rivers, Father, flow from our innermost being, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We just have an expectation, Father, that there will be soul after soul after soul. Father, you're preparing your bride. And Lord, if this is the last days and we believe, there's so much evidence around that would say that it is, then Father, our expectation is that there's a tabernacle anointing for this day. And Father, if things become a bit uncertain, Lord, when we look at the news or we look at conflict in the Middle East or when we look at uh, things on the news that are a little bit unsettling, Lord, I pray that none of our hearts would be unsettled, that we would just say, oh, that's just God making the world thirsty. That's just God showing the world that the world has no answer. That's just God and getting the world thirsty for this river that's going to flow through us and flow through his church. Bless each one here today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.